0: Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifecasey.com. Well, this morning we're wrapping up a series that we've been in called Family Dinner, and hopefully, you had a special Thanksgiving dinner this week. Hopefully, it was something meaningful, and uh, maybe you had some traditions. Uh, in America, we have this holiday that we celebrate on the fourth Thursday of the month of November. And for a lot of us, we have traditions that come with that. Um, for some people, Thanksgiving means that we are going to turn the TV on and we are going to watch the Macy's Day Parade. How many Macy's Day Parade people we got out there? Yeah, yeah, a couple of you. Uh, my, my, uh, my five-year-old came to me and he said, Dad, it's not Thanksgiving without a parade. <laughs> I said, who are you? I don't care one thing about that parade. But he was like, yeah, we've got to watch it. And then um, uh, if you're like me, you left the TV on too long, and you ended up watching the National Dog Show. Anybody watch that? The little dogs running around. Yeah, 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 that was fun. Uh, There's that one that looked like the mop, and yeah, it was was great, you know. Uh, I'm not a dog person, but it happened. Um, For some people, they have the tradition on Thanksgiving of waking up early, putting on their tennis shoes and going out and racing a 5K called the turkey trot. Yeah, yeah those overachievers, right? Uh, that, that That's for some people. That's the tradition that they have. And yet some people, the big thing is just... Man, it's a day full of NFL football. We got three games. We're just going to watch them all day long. And of course, we have the tradition of eating the Thanksgiving meal and then feeling as though it's okay to overeat just one day per year. Uh, so we all have kind of our, our thing. But as we think about Thanksgiving, our traditions have kind of grown over the years. But Thanksgiving originated as a day of thanksgiving, I know it 's a little shocking it 's a day to give thanks right that 's where it started and, and, and here 's the thing we 're not supposed to like hold our thanks in all year long and then wait for thanksgiving to give it we 're supposed to be thankful all year long, but then Thanksgiving is supposed to be this day, which is a a federal holiday in which you're given the day off. You're not to necessarily work unless you're like in retail and Black Friday's coming and you had no choice. But like for most people, it's a day off from the norm to pause and to remember what you're thankful for. And and I don't know about you, but like a lot of times I want to be thankful all year long, but I'm not. And thanksgiving does at least prompt me to pause and to reflect and to think about what I'm thankful for. In our family, I don't know what you guys do. My, my wife does what's called a thankful turkey with our kids. And so I, I took a picture of it this morning before I came to church. Uh, it's on our, our door in our kitchen. And each day she asks our three kids something that they're thankful for. And then she writes it on kind of the little feathers. And so we've got, you know, all the things, you know, that they're thankful for Pop-Tarts. And they're thankful for their teacher. And they're thankful for food. And Grandpa Tom coming over. And Pumpkins, you know, we have a two-year-old. He doesn't have a fully developed brain, so some of these things make no sense. But they're all on there. We have our things that we are thankful for, and so we have this reminder of the things that we should be thankful for, and Thanksgiving prompts that. And in the same way that Thanksgiving, this holiday, prompts us to think about being thankful, when we approach the Lord's Supper, when we approach communion, communion is to be a prompt for us to do a lot of the same things we do at Thanksgiving. It's a prompt for us to do something that we don't normally do. And it's also a prompt for us to pause and to remember. So as we kind of conclude this series that we've been in uh, called Family Dinner, we've been looking at all these food-related passages. I don't think there's any better way to wrap this series up than to look at the food elements that Jesus talked about on the night before he was betrayed, that have become a part of church history for the last 2,000 years. So, today we're going to go to the upper room where Jesus shared this last meal with his disciples. Are you guys ready? All right. In Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, sharing a meal with friends was very common. It was a very common practice. And just as we are very familiar with the Thanksgiving meal as Americans, these guys weren't Americans. They were Jews, and they were very familiar with what was called the Passover meal. It was an annual meal that they had. It was a part of what God had done when the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt. He completely revised their calendar to where they would have these prompts to remember who he is. And so, throughout these guys' entire lives, every year, just as we celebrate Thanksgiving, they would have celebrated the Passover meal or the Passover feast. It was a call for them to remember God's deliverance of their ancestors from Egyptian bondage. And so... We're going to do just a kind of a fly through of Exodus chapter 12 here in case this is new information for you. We're skipping some verses, but I'm giving you kind of just the overview of where this came from. So we'll put it up here on the screen. And here's what it says. Uh, God is speaking to Moses. Moses was the guy, of course, that went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Yeah. And so, after, you know, all this, before, before they left Egypt, right? So, every day, he's, like, going up to Pharaoh, like, hey, would you let my people go? And he's, like, no. And so, then God's, like, hey, we're going to send a plague. <laughs> and it was, like, really bad. And Moses is, like, how about now? Let my people go. He's, like, no. And God's, like, I got another plague. And so, th- there was nine plagues up to this point. And this here is going to be the tenth plague. So, here's what God is saying to Moses to announce to the community, to the Israelites, announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. Now, the animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the month. Okay, so you've got like this little friend in your house from the 10th day to the 14th day. You're allowing your heart to bond with this. Uh, okay. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must, that's a heavy word, slaughter the lamb or the young goat at twilight. Some of you are like, I don't know about this. Um, we'll keep going. So they are to take some of the blood. It gets worse, all right? So we've slaughtered the animal, twilight, and we're going to take it we're going to start smearing the blood on the sides and the top of the door frames of the house where they eat the animal. It's not just our pet anymore. He's our food. It was the next year that PETA was established. <laughs> Verse 11, these are your instructions for eating this meal. You need to be fully dressed. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts, it will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. Do we have any more? Oh, there it is. So the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded through Moses and Aaron. They obeyed, which was good. And that night at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of their livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of Israel woke up during the night And as you can imagine, loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. There's an intense moment in history. This is an intense moment, but this is the very thing that prompted Pharaoh to finally let the Israelite people go. It's not as though God did not give him chance after chance after chance to release them. But this here was the thing that finally Pharaoh was like, fine, go. And we take this story and we fast forward hundreds of years. And in the very same month that this happened, at the very same time of the month that, that God, through Moses, brought Israel out of Egypt, we find Jesus sitting with his disciples in an upper room celebrating the Passover meal. This meal that was to be celebrated year after year. Hundreds of years later, Jesus is a participating in this very thing. They're gathered together to remember that God delivered them. Now, as you can imagine, hundreds of years of having this meal, there were some additional traditions that had begun. And we don't see these in the Bible, but we find these in some other writings that as the Jews would have celebrated Passover, as they had this meal, they would pour four symbolic cups of wine during the feast. And so the first cup was the cup of sanctification. It was the idea of remembering what God said that I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And so they would share in the cup of sanctification. They would pour another cup and it would be the cup of deliverance or sometimes called the cup of judgment. And this is where God was saying, I will rescue you from your bondage. So I'm not just gonna set you apart, but no, no, I'm gonna rescue you. And then typically at the end of the meal, They would have the third cup, which was the cup of redemption, which is the saying, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And then the final cup that they would partake of was the cup of praise or the cup of consummation, which is the communication of God to his people saying, I will take you as my people. Like you're going to be married to me now, like we are going to be a new item. And so every year, this tradition had developed that as they had the Passover meal, they would share these cups in order to help prompt them to remember the story of what God had done. And a lot of theologians believe that this tradition was already in place by the time that Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And so it's with this context that so often we don't know about that we see that this idea of taking a cup and passing it wasn't uncommon. This wasn't a new thing. But what Jesus did was he took the tradition of what they had and he made it new and he added something to it that had never taken place before about how the third cup, the cup of redemption, would actually be the cup representing his blood. And most theologians believe that after he passed that third cup, he didn't take the fourth cup because he said, I won't drink again until the kingdom of God is here, which would have been the cup of consummation of saying, you are my people. Pretty wild. And so as we look at Mark chapter 14, 22 through 25, this is the moment they're in the upper room. Jesus is there, and it says that as they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and he blessed it, and then he broke it in pieces, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said this, It's not part of their tradition. This is new. Take this, for this is my body. And then he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. Speaking, of course, of his death to come. And he says, I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So this morning what I want to do with the time we have left is I want to share just a few thoughts with you about the Lord's Supper that you maybe haven't thought about before. Number one, the Lord's Supper is provided for you. The Lord's Supper is provided for you. It's a meal that you receive it's not a meal that you pay for. It's simply provided for you. Uh, this morning, we're going to partake of communion. Can you imagine if I said, all right, we're going to do communion today. Uh, everybody got to get your wallets out for you to participate. You're going to have to buy your cup. That would be weird. That wouldn't make sense. You'd have like flashbacks of like selling indulgences in the Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation. You'd be like, what in the world's going on in this church? This is not the church for me. When we come to communion, you didn't do anything to purchase this. This was provided for you. It is something that as you came in, you freely received. You've chosen to receive it. Just as we take the elements, and here in a moment we're going to take these, and we're going to actually receive them into our bodies as Christians What we're saying is that we have taken Jesus Christ and received him into our life. These elements represent Christ, the act of receiving them into our body, indication that we have received Jesus into our lives. And so when we share in the bread and the cup, we not only have the responsibility of receiving, but also remembering, which is number two. So the Lord's Supper is provided for you, but number two, the Lord's Supper serves as a memorial. In the Apostle Paul's record of the Lord's Supper, which is found in 1 Corinthians 11, twice he says that Jesus told them to do this in remembrance of me. We used to have a communion table here, and on the bottom of it said, do this in remembrance of me. When we approach the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to approach it not just as this ritual that we do with no meaning, but rather we're supposed to remember. It serves as a memorial to remember who he is just as a tombstone might cause you to remember who someone is in their life. This here is that element, that prompt for us to remember, to recall something. But it's more than just recalling facts. It's more than just thinking about the past. Uh, I like this definition. I'll put it up here. To remember is to bring something to life, to, to recall and make it relevant in the present. It's not just a mental, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But there's something, it's, it's more, it's deeper. This is real to me now here. Christians are to remember Jesus' sacrifice during communion. We're to pause and dwell on what he did for us so that we can appreciate it and that we can acknowledge not only that he did that, but that his presence is still here with us today. And when we remember that these elements represent his body, it is though he is here, he is present with us as we engage in this practice. I don't know if you've ever lost a, a loved one, um, someone that you cared about. Um, I've, had, I've had a few losses in my life. I had a, a student in my uh, youth ministry years ago um, who, who died by suicide and and I found myself, um, you know, months, maybe a year later, I was kind of looking through the contacts on my phone, and I saw his name. And his, his phone number was still in my phone. And it was that moment, you know, it was like, I don't need to keep it in my phone. I, the number's not going to call him. But it, it's a weird thing to remove it, right? Uh, I had another friend um, who had left me some voicemails Um, during the the end of her life. And and I knew that, you know, the cancer was probably going to win. And so I I didn't delete those voicemails. I don't know if anybody's been there. And it's like, you know what? I think I'm just going to keep that one saved to where if I want to remember, I can go and pull that up. And there's a remembrance that's not just, yeah, I remember who that person is, but it becomes real again. And it brings life to the present. And there's something about that prompt that makes this more meaningful. I think when Jesus established communion for us, this idea that we would eat this bread and drink this cup, it's supposed to be kind of the same thing, that it would bring what a voicemail from a lost one would bring to us. That we wouldn't just go through these motions of communion, but it would become real he is real. He did love me. He did die for me. And he's risen and he's reigning. And he wants relationship with me now. And I don't just say these facts, but I know it and I, I feel it. Communion, I believe, is supposed to help us to remember at that deep level. Not just a recollection of facts, but a sense of, no, he is here. An author named James R. Arcadi says this, in the incarnation, right? In the incarnation is what we celebrate at Christmas time. It's the idea of God becoming man. It's when God the Father sent his only son to take on flesh. In the incarnation, we see the links that God went to to be with us, so far that he became one of us. God became one of How wild is that? Likewise he says, in the Lord's supper, We see a God who continues to be present in our midst. By by viewing the Eucharist, this idea of communion, through the lens of the incarnation, the word made flesh and the flesh made bread, both attest to the reality that God is indeed with us. Number one, the Lord's Supper is provided for you. Number two, it serves as a memorial. But number three, the Lord's Supper teaches us to Never forget. When I hear those words, I tend to think about September 11th. Never forget. It, it's wild. I talked to teenagers today, and uh, they weren't alive when it happened. And that's mind-blowing to me. They're like, yeah, that, I don't know about anything about that. They 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 think of that like I think of, like when I hear of, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was shot. Well, that happened. I I don't remember it. Some of you do. Uh, My dad remembers when JFK was shot and the announcement of that. Well, for some, that's not in their lifetime. But we still say, never forget. And we continue to bring a prompt on all the TV stations. They run all the news and we go through all the things every year so that we don't forget. In the same way, the Lord's Supper is for us to never forget. That he... Paid a price to save us. Communion ought to remind us that forever, he died in our place. What we deserved, he took upon himself. I came across a story that I want to share with you. And as I was putting this together, I thought of my dad. Because my dad... Uh, He always had lots of stories when he would preach. And I don't know where he got his stories, and I don't know where I got this story, but I'm sharing this story with you because I think it makes the point. Sorry, you ready? We're going to talk about Ireland. (laughs) He was a lot smoother at getting in and out of these stories than me. During the 19th century, Ireland was stricken with a potato famine. A lot of you guys have heard about that. And during this time, many Irish people immigrated to America a young Irish boy stowed away on an American-bound ship. But at sea, the ship he was on struck an iceberg and began to sink. As people scrambled frantically for the lifeboats, the captain supervised the activity, and he was the last, he thought, to leave the sinking vessel. But as he looked back at the ship, he saw the young stowaway coming out of hiding. The brave captain ordered his lifeboat to go back to the sinking ship. The captain climbed aboard the ship and rescued the boy and put him in the seat that he had been setting in, in the lifeboat. It was the only available spot in the lifeboat. And as the lifeboat slowly pulled away from the sinking ship a second time, this time it was leaving the captain to go down with his ship. As the ship separated, the captain yelled out to the boy, son, never forget what has been done for you today. Son, never forget what has been done for you today. That boy, I suspect you would never forget. And when Jesus instituted The Lord's Supper, it was his way of saying, Never forget what has been done for you on the cross. Through the the broken bread, Jesus reminds us of his body that was broken to meet our hunger for salvation. In his brokenness, Jesus received our sin, and through the poured wine, he reminds us that his blood was spilled out to meet our thirst for life. Through his blood, Jesus erased our sin. And so it's through Jesus' broken body and spilled blood that he became the perfect sacrifice. He atoned for our sin. He redeemed us for all eternity. And when we recall what Jesus did for us, I don't know about you, but there can only be one appropriate response. When we understand his love, all we can do in response is give our lives to him. Nothing else is sufficient. here's my life. as Dr. Rick Ezel wrote, in the first century when a young Jewish man reached marrying age and his family had selected an appropriate wife for him, he and his father would meet the young woman, and her father to negotiate the bride price. It was the figurative cost of replacing a daughter. And the price was usually very high. And when the fathers finished negotiations, the custom was for the young man's father to pour a cup of wine and hand it to his son. His son would then turn to the young woman, lift the cup, and hold it out to her and say, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Which I offer to you. In other words, it was his way of saying, I love you and I'll give you my life. Will you marry me? And the young woman, she had a choice. She could take the cup and return it and say, No, thank you. (laughs) Or she could answer without saying a word by simply taking the cup and drinking it. And by drinking it, it would be her way of saying, I accept your offer. I will marry you, and I will give you my life. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus and the disciples sat together celebrating Passover. The disciples knew the liturgy very well. They'd celebrated this their entire lives. But when it came time to drink the third cup of wine, redemption, Jesus lifted the cup as the disciples would expect and offered traditional thanks. The same words he used are used this day, Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, for giving us the fruit of the vine. And then he offered it to them, but said something they probably didn't expect. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. They would have heard this and thought of a marriage ceremony. Like, this is what a man would do when he's wanting to marry a woman. But maybe Jesus couldn't think of any other language to communicate, I love you, And the best way to describe the power of my love is that of the love of a husband and wife. It's possible some of the disciples kind of chuckled and thought, this is weird, what's he doing? Is this a marriage proposal? It's a Passover dinner. But there may have been some there that understood Jesus' willingness to die, be buried, and eventually raised. To say, I love you, and as my father promised your fathers, I will pay the price for you. And in response, will you love me back by giving me your life? So, today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we must be mindful of Jesus' offer, because I think that today he still says, I love you. I will offer my life. Will you be my bride? The only question today is how you will respond. Will you hand the cup back to him and reject his offer? Where will you, by partaking of the cup, say yes, I accept your offer and I give you my life in response? This morning, whether you've said yes to Jesus in the past or if you're today saying, you know what, I want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, I invite you to say yes by partaking of communion with me. If you'll grab your elements. There's a small cellophane top not the large tab. If you pull the thin piece back first, you'll expose the bread. For those of you joining us online, I encourage you, grab something, grab some elements. It could be a piece of bread from the kitchen, could be a cup of water, juice. The the symbolism's not lost on the food elements. That's not the important thing. It's what they represent. Once you have the bread exposed, you can pull the big tab back. That'll expose the juice. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, if you hold the bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. God, we thank you for this bread. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink. Let's partake of the cup together. And Paul concludes and says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup as we have just done, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I'm so glad that Jesus paid a price for me and I'm so glad he's coming back. If you would, bow your heads with me. God, we thank you for what you've done on the cross. But Lord, we also thank you that in your wisdom you established this practice that has been passed down for 2,000 years, that every generation of Christians, as they've gathered, have taken these elements that are simply symbols, these pieces of food, to remember who you are, the price that you paid. We thank you, God, that you sent Jesus to be our Redeemer, to save us from our sin, to save us from ourselves, and to give us new life. And I ask, Lord, that as we have partaken of these elements today, We're communicating, Lord, our life is yours. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray, Lord, that you would empower each person here to be able to walk their faith out in a more bold way than they ever have before. I pray that you would give them favor with their coworkers, with their neighbors, with their friends. I pray that there might be an opportunity for them to share the good news of who you are this Christmas season with them. Maybe they'll just grab an invite card and invite someone to church, and Lord, maybe, just maybe, There'll be people in our lives that we love and care about who will step over the line of faith, and we can have the assurance that we will be spending eternity with them. God, we want to see a full heaven and an empty hell. Help us to partner with you in that mission. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.